Welcome to Bible Babble, where we babble about the Bible. Yes, well hi John. Well hey, how's it going Garrett? It's going good, good. How are you today? Doing pretty swell. A little tired, but a little tired. excited to, to get on some interesting topics today. Yeah, I want to start this session off um, real quick by uh, telling you a riveting story from my day. Yeah, go on. Um, so this week is Spy Games here at TSC. Mm. Um, it's pretty exciting. Uh, I I almost got killed yesterday. Just happened to spray her first. Um, and then today, as I was coming out of or uh, into the eagle's nest, there's someone standing in the door. I was a little suspicious of her. She comes out. And I pull my gun on her, and she, like, acts really surprised. She's like, what? Mm. I'm like, oh, okay. I apologized. And as I'm walking past her, into, through the door, she pulls her gun on me, and I spray her first. Let's I had my go. gun ready, bro. I'm like a Let's cowboy. And, uh, and she said that she thinks that we sprayed each other at the same time. So no. I'm like, okay. Oh my okay, goodness. that's fair. Oh. So what we ended up doing was... Uh, rock, paper, scissors. It was awesome. Best two out of three. Boom, boom, boom. I win one. Boom, boom, boom. She wins one. And then boom, boom, boom. Nothing. Boom, boom, boom. Nothing. Boom, boom, boom. I win, bro. Let's go. Come on, Garrett. Yeah, man. Let's go. First kill or what? No, no, no. No, no. I I didn't kill her. She was trying to kill me. So. I'm I'm still after my second target. uh, My first target is. I mean, my second target is super elusive, bro. uh, I'm not even sure she exists. Oh really? Yeah, you never know. You never know. Honestly, spy games gotta be really changes the dynamic on campus dramatically. Yeah, everybody's on edge. The I mean, the trust levels just go way down. Yeah. Just I mean, I trust you, generally. Yeah, of course. I mean, I didn't join spy games yeah, you're not for playing, that reason. So I, yeah. Actually, because to I preserve my relationships, you know. With me. Yeah, mainly with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As yeah. my roommate. So John and I have recently been thinking through some different things in the Bible uh, concerning Jesus's kind of learning as a human. Mm. I feel like, what is, what is that process like? Mm. You know, there, there's some weird passages that we're going to look at um, in, you can start in Luke. Go chronological. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good to me. Um, see, in Luke chapter 2, Got some in, uh, let's see, verse 40 and verse 52. Yeah. Yeah, I'll read, uh, I'll read chapter 2, verse 40. And the child, which is Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. It My endures. version says increasing in wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Increasing in wisdom. Increasing in wisdom. And then what's the uh, 52? Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. Okay, yeah. yeah. My, my version, ESV, also says increased in wisdom mm. and in stature. Yeah. And in favor with God? 
Yikes. What? What's going on here? What? What do you think? What's 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 happening? Oh boy. <coughs> so, hmm. I don't know. So if we talk about first of all with wisdom. Wisdom being the proper application of knowledge. Okay. Proper application of knowledge. It, it's almost to me as if as if Jesus was not necessarily lacking wisdom from the beginning, um, but was, I guess, experiencing his wisdom as he applied the knowledge properly throughout his life. And so I don't, I don't take this at face value and interpret it as he was actually growing in wisdom in the sense that he had something to learn particularly. Mm. Interesting, interesting. See, yeah. I think I would probably disagree well, on that. Well, and and when I think of wisdom, like I do think that there were areas of knowledge that Jesus did not have. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. You know, as a human, operating as a human, and so I do think that there were things that he did have to learn. You know, he had to learn the the scriptures from a as a young boy. You know, as a Jewish boy would yeah. do. Yeah, right. They would learn the scriptures. I don't believe that Jesus, because he was God, automatically had the whole Torah memorized. Right, you know? right. He's not spouting off the, the Ten Commandments as a infant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's, he's a human, right? So yeah, he has, to, fully he has to learn things, yeah, as a normal human would, as a child would. He had to learn to, to use the bathroom by yourself. Like, Jesus yeah. had to learn how to do yeah. all of that. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to me because the Bible seems to present wisdom not only as something like that is just a, a degree of intelligence, but more of like a moral issue as well. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. I I might not I might not take your your definition. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, the way I think of, of wisdom, particularly in the Bible, is according to, to Proverbs and the two ways, the ways yeah. of the wise and the yeah. foolish. Yeah. Um, kind of riffing off of two ways of righteousness and wickedness. Yeah. Um, and so whenever I r- read this, that he, he increased in wisdom. He, he was filled with wisdom, as the ESV says. Um, I do read that as as if Jesus wasn't initially super wise. Okay. As in, like, I th- I think Jesus could have made mistakes, not necessarily moral mistakes, um, but but certainly mistakes, um, <laughs> and maybe even mistakes in his thinking. What if? What? That's yeah. crazy. What yeah. if that's what if that's the case? What yeah. What if Jesus had to like? Hmm. What if what if he had to to hone, like to grow in his wisdom? In that, there were times when wisdom was not applied when it should have been, mm. but not in a way that's that was wicked. I don't know, like, ignorant yeah, maybe. I, yeah, I yeah, know. yeah. I see what you're saying. So I guess. I guess some instances of, 
I guess maybe we wouldn't qualify as foolishness in a in the sense that if foolishness is qualified as something that is morally wrong, right? Maybe ignorance is the better word, right? Yeah, or naivety. Yeah. I I can see that, you know, yeah. him being a human, being a child, not understanding all of the social norms. <laughs> yes. I guess. Yeah. You know, like little kids will just say things how they are. You know. Yeah. Just like, mom. Why is that woman so fat? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like kids just right, say stuff like that. It's not as sinful, or it's just an observation. Yeah, that they, that a, they make a pure, a pure observation yeah. made out of you know, yeah, ignorance of the social norms. Yeah. So I, I don't know, I can see that being a possibility. Yeah. In Jesus' life. Certainly. So maybe maybe you're right. I guess I guess I had restricted or was thinking of of um, wisdom strictly in a moral sense. Right. You know, and in that case, I would say you know no, Jesus did not falter in that way. More did not falter right. morally yeah. in any yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess when it comes to you know just just the natural ignorance of a child. Yeah. I can see that being a very real thing. In yeah. His life. Yeah. Remember, uh, there's there's a story my mom loves to tell. My, my mom did a really great job of raising my my brothers and I to to respect women, and part of respecting women is is looking at them in the eyes, mm. yeah. right? Um, and so I remember one time going on a walk. Well, I actually don't remember this. My mom tells the story. We're going on a walk. Uh, at the lake and there were a couple women who were riding bikes and bikinis and my brothers were, were riding their tricycles ahead of me and I said brothers look away <laughs> and, and they you know they just rode past I think but it's just it kind of speaks into that brothers like, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, call, I always call my brothers Brothers. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you actually called it. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> True story. True story. That's but hilarious. I wonder if Jesus had moments like that as a yeah, kid. Yeah. Yeah. Is that part of growing in wisdom? <laughs> like, I wouldn't say that now, right? Look away. <laughs> right. Right. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I'm leaning towards yes, honestly. Yeah. That he did have moments like that. Yeah. I mean, because we wouldn't... I mean, it would only make sense because we wouldn't call those moments sinful. Right, yeah, yeah. You know? And that is a, a part of being a child, being a being a human. That's part of Jesus taking on the full human experience. Yeah. Was yeah. Subjecting himself to a level of ignorance. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. A level, an eight. A manner of the of ignorance. Yeah, Jesus had to learn things. He had to. He, it's was, weird. he wasn't. He didn't have everything divinely downloaded. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. To his existence. Yeah, and I think like, I don't know, just my own growing up in the American church, I always assumed that Jesus. I mean, I guess there was so much an emphasis on Jesus' divinity. 
mm-hmm. that I really didn't understand the nature of his humanity. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. relate to that, certainly. Yeah. I just, yeah. I don't know. Like, I always, you know, just operated under the assumption that Jesus never got sick or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I never would have thought it a possibility for Jesus to get sick. If, or if he were to play baseball, he'd be, like, the best in the league. Yeah, yeah, literally. Because he's God, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, those are, believe it or not, like, those are beliefs that I had. Yeah, that certainly. I, had. I did, too. I don't know. I think since coming to TFC, I've rethought a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of it's been kind of mind-blowing, but, like, yeah. just recognizing that it is it is God's design for Jesus to be human yeah and everything that comes with that yeah and that that doesn't do anything to his credibility as the the messiah or that doesn't yeah, mean certainly. that he's in fact it sick. makes him more oh yes yeah, like yeah. It, it makes him more credible as our messiah exactly because our messiah has to be human yeah and uh, uh, a, a descendant of david has to be a human yeah right? exactly and I think it it speaks more into, you know, what it talks about in Hebrews 4 about him being tempted in every way, yet without sin. Mm-hmm. So when he subjects himself fully mm-hmm. to the human experience mm-hmm. and comes out without sinning, his validity as our Savior, as the only one who can make an atoning sacrifice, is, is uh, established. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think says he's like us in every way. Yeah, it's important. It's honestly important that we make this clear, you know, the humanity of Jesus and what that means. Yeah. It's important. It has theological ramifications, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. What about, what about, oh, shoot, I can't hear it. Oh, I'm back, I'm back. It's back. What about, um says that he he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Hmm. What do we make of that increasing in increasing in favor? And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Yeah, I don't know. When I read these verses, it's like I'm automatically seeking everything except for what it looks like in face value because this um, at face value <laughs> we're saying so radical. Yeah, 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 I mean, I don't know. At face value, there can't be a sense in which the father was not already pleased with the son. You know, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, I don't. I think I don't see it as the father saying that only after he reached a certain age you know I think the father would have rightfully and willingly said that at the beginning of Mm. Jesus' life Mm. and so I don't know what to do with that I mean I I will say I don't think it means what it looks like it means on face value okay okay with men I can understand I mean (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Although he had much opposition, but I can't. I don't know. I don't know what to say about the growing in favor with God. 
increasing in favor of that. I don't think there was ever a time that the father was not fully pleased with the son. Maybe, maybe f favor doesn't have to do with pleasing. Yeah, I do oh, wonder what, what exactly is meant by that. Yeah, and, and, and I'm thinking too of, of what you're saying. Uh, Luke, Luke has a great birth narrative. Um, and and yeah, part part of the birth narrative is is this just really cosmic celebration of his arrival, hmm. where like these these angels, the, the heavenly host, are praising God as the shepherds see them, hmm. saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased." And it's and you know it's not saying that that. That the baby Jesus had favor with God there, but but I I I think it does relate to what you're saying in terms of kind of his position with God. Hmm. That I don't, yeah, I think you're right. That I don't think there was a, a time in which Jesus was not pleasing to God, or I don't know. I, it's hard to wrestle with. But, yeah, I just but verses like these, I must admit, I, I do tend to take them on face value initially. Hmm. I guess I, I um, the way I originally in, interpreted just reading it naturally um, cannot be true just because of, of things that we learn in other portions of the scripture. Hmm. And so I think I need to understand it in a different light the way that it's actually intended mm. because it's not intended to be interpreted that that Jesus somehow became more pleasing to God because that doesn't line up theologically but he increased in favor with God yeah and so I think there's there has to be another way to interpret that that is not um, go against you know what the rest of the scriptures say Talk about the principles, scripture interpreting scripture. Yeah, it's true, but but I'm also trying to think through. Like, why would Luke say that, but mean something different? Yeah. Like, why would why would not? Luke, why wouldn't he say what he means? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just. I don't know. I'm. I guess I'm wondering, like, what what did it look like for this audience, or how did the audience understand what it meant to mm -hmm. be favored by God? Mm -hmm. Yeah. to have favor with God. Yeah, in, in in their culture of extreme honor and shame. Yeah. I wonder how that affects the way that they would have understood and interpreted this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I wonder too, in favor with God and man, 
I'm wondering, maybe we maybe we shouldn't like dichotomize the two terms God and man, but rather kind of see it as yeah. one. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe he's he's growing in in favor in 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 the public in his hometown in Nazareth. Yeah, and I do wonder if that has anything to do with the religious life. Yeah. Yeah, the, right. That's what I was thinking too. You know, yeah. Going to synagogue, learning, memorizing the scriptures. Or maybe it's like almost as if in the way that outsiders would interpret it or understand it, he's increasing in favor with God and man. Yeah. So that it wouldn't necessarily be positionally or spiritually that the son is actually gaining favor from the father, but more of like from the outward appearance of his mm -hmm. religiosity or, or devotion mm -hmm. as a as a Jew, um, you know, going to synagogue, practicing these things, probably teaching is, too. Yeah, yeah, perceived as him being, you know, gaining favor with with men and God. Yeah, that's God and man. So. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is not a a theological claim, but more of just an observation. Yeah. From yeah. a human perspective. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, could be. I don't know. That would that would make sense to me. Yeah. But I would like to do more research on that, that passage specifically. Yeah. What did the old dead guys say about it? <laughs> yeah, right. Wisdom from the old dead men. Yes. The gray beards. Um, so, so, this is not the only passage that we have to wrestle with today, <laughs> yeah. Gary Gaunt. Nope, I'm flipping over to Hebrews. Oh boy. Written by Apollos. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think so? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be episode three. Yeah. Have to see some evidence for that one. I think it's written by Theophilus. No. <laughs> <laughs> Most excellent Theophilus. Oh, what are those? What are those passages? Or that passage? It's the. Uh, oh, Hebrews five. Learning obedience, right? Seven through nine. Hebrews five. In the day of days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he also heard, and, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designed by, designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. <laughs> Melchizedek. Now, now wait a second, Garrett. What? What? I, I don't know. I don't know if I heard you right or if you're reading another translation or what what was going on there because I thought I heard you say that he learned obedience. Learned obedience. Wait, did it say he was made perfect? Oh, shoot. Wait a second. Shoot. What version are you reading here, Garrett? Uh, the standard one. The English standard one. English standard one. Wait, that's it. That's a good translation. Wait a second. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, I think we're 
sweating in our theological pants right now. Yeah. Um, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered in being made perfect. Yeah, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Well, wait a second, Gary. What? To learn obedience, does that not mean that at one point there was a level of disobedience? Oh, not necessarily. Not necessarily? Not necessarily. Okay. What could that mean? I don't know. Doesn't this have wild ramifications? Yes, it does have wild Because as we, you know, as we established earlier, the only reason that, that Jesus is a valid Messiah um, is the only one who has the credibility to, um, and the, yeah, the validity to take upon the sins of the world is because he never sinned. So there's a lot that's at stake here. And, and the, the writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews actually does say that. He was like us in every way, yet without sin. Exactly. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15. Yet he was without sin. So, we have something to work with here. Yeah. Something to work with. The writer with. of Hebrews is helping us out a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Learning obedience. What does it mean to learn obedience, you think? So... I think the key here is in the word learned. Okay. I'm listening. So, I don't think that when we use the word, or the writer of Hebrews is using the word learned here, he's using it in the traditional sense that we would understand, in the sense that... Ooh, the non-traditional sense, all right. Yeah, in the sense that it wasn't... um, Obedience was never anything that he lacked and or didn't um, actually perform and that and that somehow he had to to learn that that that, yeah, was, that, that was new to him certainly. at some point I don't I don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here yeah. I think Jesus says in, in John's gospel that he doesn't do anything except by you know what the father is essentially telling him to do yeah exactly he is obedient yeah to the very end Exactly. And there's a prophecy, prophecies in Isaiah, and talk about from Jesus' perspective that saying basically, I was, I'm not rebellious. I was not rebellious to the Father. Mm. Um, and so, in no way was Jesus ever out of line with the mission and the, the will of the Father. Mm-hmm. So, Jesus never, never violated that. Um, so, when, when he says learned, I think of this more of like learning in the sense that. In the sense of experiencing. Okay. So, okay. So it's more of like you can learn something with the idea of learning something in the class, right? Mm-hmm. But then you see it outwardly performed. Mm-hmm. Now you really know it. Yeah. Now you've, now you've truly learned it, you know? Yeah. I think that's the, there's, I guess that's what completes learning in my eyes. Is, is, is experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so I think of this more of like Jesus experienced obedience through the things that he suffered. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. Jesus that's right. He f- like fulfilled. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see yeah. what you're saying. That's good. Yeah. 
And so through all of the the times where his his there was this temptation, of course, because Jesus Jesus did experience genuine temptation, I believe. Oh, um, certainly. And he theoretically, I would say, could have sinned. In those moments, he learned obedience. Yeah. He experienced obedience. He experienced what it was like to be obedient to the Father yeah. in those moments. Yeah. And it, and especially, I guess, the climax is the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, certainly. You know, when that was, I mean, <laughs> facing sure death brought him much anguish. Yeah. And yet he still submitted to the, the Father's will. And then when it comes to this phrase of being made perfect... I think the the Greek is very important here. Okay. The Greek. The Greek. The mystical, elusive. This mystical, (laughs) elusive entity, separate entity. Uh, No. The Greek. (laughs) I mean, the translation of the the original language of the New Testament. When we read the New Testament, um, the meaning is less perfect in a moral sense and more about perfection as completion or full oh, maturity yeah. in many cases including yeah. this case uh, is, it, is it teleos? I believe that's the word teleos? Yeah, I believe that's the word the wholeness so like it can be used in terms of experiencing salvation like could be you are perfected but not in the sense that you are morally perfect yeah yeah by your own nature but but you are made complete you are made perfect yeah you're whole Exactly. Yeah, Telios, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think here it, it's more about his mission and ministry as the Messiah being completed. Not him somehow gaining moral standing mm-hmm. in, any, in any degree. It's more like his mission as the Savior of the world has been completed. Yep, can confirm by the BLB, the Blue Letter Bible. It is that it's Tilio O, Tilio O. But yeah, the root's the same, Tilios. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and it, and it also goes into the context to of of the argument that uh, he's making as Jesus, Jesus as the great high priest. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's he's not like he's not like the other priests who die. He's like the priests who who was appointed by God, not by lineage, as the Levites were, but according to God's own will. Yeah, I think that's important too because also he he never had to offer sacrifices for himself. Mm-hmm. You know, being mm-hmm. the true and ultimate and last and eternal high priest. Yeah. And so I think I think that context is important because the writer of Hebrews is actually doing the opposite of what we think at, at face value. Yeah. He's actually making a claim to Jesus' sinlessness. Yeah. Oh, certainly. That's good. And so I think that context really helps us understand um, what he's trying to do here. And uh, in, in, no, in no way is he trying to convey, especially as you mentioned earlier, that this same author said in the previous chapter, that he was without sin. 
Mm-hmm. In no way is he trying to mm-hmm. convey that Jesus had, had fallen short of the Father's standards. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's very important. Super. It's very, very important. I think misinterpreting this verse can lead to a lot of theological rocky roads. Yeah, confusion. Yeah. A lot of theological mistakes. Yeah. There's there's another there's another passage in Hebrews that that John and I have been thinking through recently, um, and and we're wondering we're wondering if the writer of Hebrews thinks it's possible for us to lose our salvation in Christ. Mm. Oh man, what did I just say? Oh boy. Um, this is chapter six, beginning in verse four. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt or to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to be cursed. Mm. And its end is to be burned. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let me summarize by saying what, what the author of Hebrews is, is saying is that it is impossible to, to have really become a Christian and then to have fallen away to be restored again. Because to do so would be to put Christ upon the cross a second time. And you it's not something you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the underlying assumption that seems to be present in the text is that the author of Hebrews is assuming one can fall away. Yeah. Yeah. And have fallen away. Yeah, he, yep. it does seem that he certainly assumed yeah. that. Well, so and not only that, but that if you do fall away, that you, there's no chance of coming back. Yeah, yeah. And first off, okay, okay, ex- explain explain the dissonance for your own self, John. Like, what, what's what's going on in your head? Hmm. I don't know what's going on in my head is all the other passages that seem to convey the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I just think of um, Ephesians 1. Mm. Um, yeah, right. I believe it's 14. It talks about us being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, I think about John chapter 10. That's what I was going to say, yeah. It talks about nothing being able to pluck us from the hand. Nothing. From God's hand. Yeah. Nothing being able to snatch us from his hand. Yeah. Um, Romans eight. Yeah, I think of Romans eight. Yeah. I mean, this just this sure idea. If you have been justified, there is a sure glorification. Yeah. Is is what it seems to convey. Absolutely. And then I just think of, I what I think of logically is the nature of salvation. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, when when we are justified, we are made right with God that has yeah. seems to be a a hard and fast decision um, and accompanied with this salvation is is an eternal salvation I mean that's 
seems to be the nature of what salvation is. Yeah. Eternal salvation. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I've always viewed it as, you know, you believed in Christ and your name is written in heaven. You're yeah. already seated with yeah. Christ in the heavenly places. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't seen that as <laughs> logically as a position that could be um, reversed. And yet, the writer of Hebrews writes this. Yeah. Yeah. I um I tend so so I remember researching this verse and and reading commentators' views on it, a bunch of different views, and there's no view that really satisfied me because it seems like what they were doing was trying to explain away what the writer of Hebrews is actually saying. Yeah. The, the, the writer of Hebrews doesn't actually mean this. He doesn't actually mean what he's saying. Um, and it kind of like trying to trying to get it to fit within a framework that mm. the writer of Hebrews I don't think is concerned with trying to fit it in. Mm. So I I believe I believe that the writer of Hebrews is warning his readers of, of of the significance of what they're doing. So so to remind our listeners what's what's happening in, in this church it seems is that the the Jewish there are Jewish believers who because of persecution are they're, they're tempted to to revert back to the law because yeah. because to live by the law does not result in persecution following Jesus yeah. does yeah absolutely and so the writer of Hebrews is, is appealing to Jesus's like greaterness <laughs> yeah um, in terms of, of the law Jesus is greater than the angels he's he's greater than Moses he's greater than the the Levitical priests because he's of a different priesthood. Um, he is the son. There's no one else like him. Um, and what he's getting at here, I I think in this in this chapter six passage is is the severity of what they're considering. Yeah. Because re- regardless regardless of whether or not they actually would fall away from salvation. The implications actually seem really logical. Hmm. The the connections that the writer of Hebrews is making. Hmm. Let's say let's let's think for a second. Okay, if it is possible, yeah, to fall away, then the writer of Hebrews is right. This is what this is what would happen. You would not be able to be restored again because to do so would be to crucify Christ a second time. Mm. Right. Yeah, logically that does make sense. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and so, I as I read this, and and it impacts it, it impacts me and you the same way, mm-hmm. because it's like oh, flip like <laughs> what? It might be possible for us to fall away. Yeah, I think that's how it's intended to be received. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think I think we're responding to it in the way we should respond, um, but I I don't think we should try to explain away the significance of what he's saying. Yeah. Because to do so would be to subtract 
subtract from the severity of his message mm. and the very seriousness of, of what these Jewish Christians were considering doing. Mm. Yeah, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense. And, and the writer of Hebrews actually makes it clear a few times that, that he doesn't actually think they're going to do this. Uh, we yeah. read the very next verse is, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Yeah. So he, I, I think he still believes that that the, they will they will consider and, and recognize what, what would happen if they were to go back to the law. Yeah. And I do think this is certainly a warning. Yeah, it is. Um, but also, he seems to believe that the warning is, is based. Like, it doesn't seem to be a warning of manipulation in which he's, like, conveying to them that there is an open possibility of them losing their salvation when mm -hmm. it's not. You know? Because that, that yeah. is manipulation. You know? Um, I think it's a rhetorical device. Yeah, but I, I can't see, like, that, I don't know, I can't see that morally being upright to say, like, I mean, in a sense, because you would be lying to them. You're saying you can lose your salvation if you actually can't. But I think it seems that the writer of Hebrews, though he doesn't believe that they will do this, it seems that the writer of Hebrews conveys this as a real possibility. Mm. And that's where my dissonance and, and qualms yeah. might come in. Yep. That's the main thing that I'm concerned about. I mean, I understand you know, rhetorically that that would be you know, a valid device to use in this context. Um, but it seems that he opens up that possibility theologically as well. Hmm. I, I use this example when we had talked about this before, but I used this example. Like, I don't think he's like, it's not like a mother who is saying, don't jump in the creek, like, because there's alligators. <laughs> it's yeah. a creek in, yeah. in North Carolina where there's, you know, usually not alligators <laughs> unless you're at the Twins' house. <laughs> yeah. um, in Lake Waccamaw, North Carolina. But uh, for the most part, not, not, al not many alligators. Uh, when when you know when the mom knows there's no alligators, and so I think it's it's more of like a the Everglades in Florida. And it's like don't jump in the water because there's that there's actually alligators. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think he it seems that he actually opens up that possibility. That's or what it seems like to me. Or could he be saying? Don't jump into the water because if you do, you will drown. Like I'm, I maybe maybe I don't know, dude. What do you mean by that? 
Does drowning represent losing your salvation? I mean, I'm, what I mean is, is that if the Jewish Christians were to go back to the law, and I'm thinking of Galatians 2 as well, um, if, if, if they were to go back to the law, then to do so would be to reject Christ. Regardless of whether or not it's possible to lose your salvation. Hmm. Like it is that is a that is a that is a truth. That is that is a logical and theological truth. Yeah. And now now I do think that that is a little bit different because I think from the Galatian context these are are Christians mm-hmm. who have been saved. Yeah. Who are And so are so are these in, in Hebrews. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying that that particular context is different. But I think in with Paul in Galatians, he's more of like, I guess part of it is a warning too, but he's warning against how this gospel that these Judaizers are teaching is clearly contrary to the gospel of grace. Mm. Um, and so he's like, this is, this is legalism. This is not the gospel, and this is the gospel. And it's like almost that they were somehow being influenced by that, and he was calling them back. But I think it's different to be it's different to be influenced by this this teaching of you know being required to fulfill the law in order to have right standing before God, than to actually fully accept that and reject Christ. Mm. In, in in one sense and to one degree, like you're saying, to take on the mentality of, of works in any sense is a degree of rejection of Christ. Mm-hmm. But I see that as, as different as, I see struggling and fully accepting the, the works-based mentality as a different thing. Mm. Fully rejecting the gospel of grace and then fully accepting the a gospel of works we'll say mm-hmm. I see those as different and I see I don't know I see the Galatian context as more like more like a struggle and Paul calling them back um, uh, I disagree I disagree yeah in, in Galatians Paul is like the circumcision is understood to be an initiation into Judaism. Yeah. The Judaizers were. They're the old covenant. Yeah. Into the covenant. Yeah. Yeah. The Judaizers essentially were convincing them that they had to become Jews. Full on yeah. Jews mm-hmm. in, or, in order to be a Christian. Yeah. And and I think that the, the case is true for Hebrews. So in in becoming a full-on Jew, then it, it makes the cross obsolete. Because it's assuming that, that righteousness comes through the law. Mm-hmm. When it when that's never been the case. Righteousness does not come through the law. Yeah. And so I think I think I think in Galatians it, it is a very, very serious issue. Mm. An issue of salvation because he he says that everyone under the law is under a curse, mm-hmm. under God's curse. 
to keep the whole wall. Yeah. 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 And so it's they they stand accursed. <laughs> they stand condemned. Yeah. Ah, yeah, that's strange. I don't know, because like the Galatian church it was a um a church that you know, was, was established and was doing fine and then these Judaizers came in and, and the environment completely changed. Yeah. Yeah. And they were influenced and, and led astray by them. And if if the writer of Hebrews is conveying what it seems like at face value, then what you're saying is that it was of such a danger even to the point of sal- losing salvation. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. And I and again I, I don't think that losing you I don't I don't think you can lose your salvation I don't think that's a I don't think so either I think that the Bible is clear on that However the the, the severity of these warnings stand But but these these the severity of these warnings would not be based unless it was a possibility Is how I see it yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm having a hard time articulating what I. What I'm trying to get across. Like. The warnings are there because. Because it's. Logically a possibility, not because it's actually what will happen. Hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. So like if okay if, if the Galatians. Did not do as Paul instructed. Wait, I kind of these I would be the ramifications. I kind of see what you're saying. But Paul doesn't actually think that 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 they're gonna go through with it. I don't think the writer of Hebrews thinks they're actually gonna go through with it. Mm-hmm. You're saying these are the the theological the logical ramifications of the decision you're making. Well, you wouldn't say theological. I think I think it's one and the same. Like. <laughs> Because his logical, his logical rhetoric is very theological by its nature. It's it's just semantics. Yeah, but to say that it is theologically a possibility means that it is a real possibility. That it could be a reality. Mm. Is what I'm saying. I see it as, in both cases, I, I see it as, in the cases of Hebrews and Galatians, as rhetorical devices hmm. yeah it just seems I guess if that is merely the case that is what he's if he's merely trying to convey something using rhetoric then it seems it just seems misleading to me I don't know if how the original audience would have interpreted it but it almost seems misleading to me. Or deceiving. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't really have a yeah. hard and fast answer. I really don't. Yeah, I am certainly still wrestling with this. And we invite all of our listeners to do the same. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think it's... I think these are things that we have to look at because um, we can't ignore them. Yeah. 
It, they have to be addressed. They're in our Bible. Yeah, yeah. You can't just take out certain portions. And I and I do I do like your commitment to not seeking to explain this way, but actually taking it for what it seems to me. Actually, genuinely seeking to understand it from a clear and honest and unbiased perspective. Mm. And I think that's how we're supposed to approach the Bible. Mm. In the sense of like, what is it actually letting saying? It, letting it impact you. And letting that form yeah. my theology. Yeah. Rather than letting my theology form how I interpret the scripture. Yeah. My yeah. For me, like it, it's so easy to view the Bible according to, to preconceived frameworks. Mm. Definitely, and I think it's almost to some degree inevitable. Yeah. I mean, I think we can try our best to avoid that, and there's principles that we can implement to avoid that. Yeah. But to some degree, I think it's going to be a present battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An yeah. ongoing battle. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I it doesn't <laughs> to taste. To have once been enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, and shared in the Holy Spirit, all seem to clearly convey salvation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. The taste of the Holy Spirit? Like, <laughs> who tastes of the Holy Spirit except for those who have, who have come to faith? Yeah, certainly. I don't know. Maybe uh, we'll do some more research on this and, and get back next week. Maybe we'll bring it up next week. Yeah. Yeah. But... We uh, invite invite our listeners to, to join, questioning to join our wrestling, which is is healthy. Um, I think it's a part of growth. And I think too, I mean sometimes we will end with with questions, and we will end with an I don't know. Yeah, like today. Yeah, and today we have ended with with many I don't knows yeah. and. While that is not entirely satisfying to me, <laughs> and I will, like I think, I think it should grow an increased desire to keep seeking, um, because there are answers, and and the seeking I think has the potential of bringing us closer to the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important to not just you know let it go because it's too hard to yeah. think about. Um, I think the process of seeking is actually very formative. Yeah. So it's important. And we want to engage in that and invite everyone else to. Yeah. Well, thank you, John. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you. Good discussion. Yeah. I'm going down to Today's uh, theme song has been Clay Pigeons by Blaze Foley. Go check it out when you have time. This has been an episode two. Lighting up and down around me about two or three times. Smoking cigarettes in the last seat. Try to hide my sorrow from the 